Hello, my name is Kayla. And my name is Jackie, and this is Season 2 of Living Two or More. A podcast where we interview people who are biracial and multiracial. Their stories are beautifully complex and unique. We were honored to receive them and so excited to share them with you. Thanks for listening and enjoy Living Two or More. Today, we have a discussion with Amira Al-Sarini. She descends from two cultural backgrounds, Syrian and Mexican, while she was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. She graduated from the University of the Incarnate with a BA in biology in 2014. She enjoys writing poetry and fictional short stories, as well as personal narratives. She creates surreal floral escapes and cosmic figurative paintings, mainly in acrylic and watercolor. In this episode, we talk about belonging, spirituality, self-love, and art. Enjoy. All right. Well, Amira, we are so excited to have you um, for this episode of Living Two or More. Thank you so much for being here with us. We're just so excited to hear your story and talk to you more about your experience. So we have an opening question for you, and that is, what is your relationship with living two or more racial identities? Wow. Well, first, I want to say thank you for having me. Um, It's great to see you guys and talk to you. And wow, oh my goodness, what a question to open with. (laughs) Okay, so living with two or more identities, um, you know, it's... It's really hard to explain, I think. That's like a question that will open so many answers. <laughs> but um, we'll go with a short answer for now. And then we, we can probably open it up a little more, little by little. Um, you know, uh, living here, uh, my dad's from Syria. He immigrated to America in the 70s. My mom is from Mexico, and she immigrated with her parents and her seven sisters uh, from Mexico in the 60s. And um, so two different people from two very different places coming at different times. They meet each other later on, many years later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, here I am and um, don't speak Spanish don't speak very good Arabic, (laughs) Uh, could not speak to either of my grandparents in their languages. Mm. Um, For many years, I felt isolated. Um, I did not know any of my family uh, in Syria. Um, Just talked to them over the phone. This was before video calls and all these cool Zoom things. I feel old. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, it was it was very interesting because I remember being a child and having to talk to my grandmother on the phone. And my, my dad is coaching me in the background because <laughs> I don't speak Arabic. Oh, and, yeah. and he's like, say, keep halik. And I'm like, keep halik? <laughs> that means, how are you? <laughs> and um, he would just, you know, keep coaching me and coaching me. And a lot of the times I would be like, really anxious or feeling a little awkward or weird because it's not my main language. I'm talking to people I've never met mm-hmm. and they're my family and somehow I still love them. And mm-hmm. like, there's all these things going on in the background. I'm just like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm thinking for a minute because I told you yeah. I was going to give you a short answer and I completely Whoa. flipped the switch. I gave you the long answer. No, we're here for the long answer. Yes. Yeah, we can, spend the, we can spend the whole time on this one question and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I was just this child and I, I would try to imagine like, what is Syria like? I have no idea. What, what does their house look like and I don't think I remember ever seeing like what a Syrian house looked like on tv even though my dad was constantly watching like Syrian dramas all the time on this satellite broadcasted uh, networks um but they were usually very old uh dramas like uh, black and white um there's a very famous uh comedian his name is Gawar it's kind of like 
I would compare it to like I Love Lucy comedy. Mm-hmm. It's very, very similar. <laughs> Yeah. It's just like slapstick, really silly, just all over the place kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff he would watch sometimes. And I just had no idea. And then I, I finally got to visit Syria uh, when I was 10. And I was like, wow, completely different. No, no indoor air conditioning, no heating. <laughs> um, my grandfather had a very classic old style Syrian house which is where um, you walk inside and all of the rooms are like in a square and in the middle of the house there's no roof it's open to the sky and there's a fountain in the center and there's a vine of grape leaves on the top and it's, it's really cool but uh-huh. not in the winter not in the winter (laughs) because whatever people told you about arab countries being really hot desert whatever no no that was a lie okay (laughs) it was freezing in the winter very very cold um and they don't have heaters they have i don't know what they call it in english but it's a diesel powered fireplace basically in Arabic, they call it asobia, and it's like they put it in certain rooms, and so that way you don't die. They have an exhaust that goes to the ceiling, and it it opens up to like like a chimney, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, they're very dangerous. Yeah, they're diesel power. <laughs> totally diesel power. Yeah, <laughs> and if you touch it, you will get burned. Oh yeah. Uh, I, um, my brother would wear like those puffy jackets sometimes because even though you're sitting in a room with one of those heaters, it's still cold. And one time he swiped by it and it burned his jacket mm-hmm. open. Wow. Oh, it's hot. <laughs> it's hot, hot. Yeah. And so, like that was my experience with going to Syria. You know, just completely different world, new language, everything. Mm-hmm. I still have not ever been to Mexico. Um, and I think that's mostly because my mom immigrated here with, uh, you know, most of her family. It was, you know, her mom, her dad, and her seven sisters. And so I guess um, for all of them, they never really felt the need to go back to Mexico, even though we definitely have cousins there. Um, but, you know, I, I always asked my mom, I was like, can we like go visit one day? But she would always be like, no, it's too dangerous. I'm mm-hmm. never going there. And yeah. I still have this want to, you know, connect to my roots, you know, just just see what it's like. And I probably could because I'm Texas. <laughs> I do not speak Spanish. Uh-huh. Still, I still don't speak Spanish. And I feel helpless. I feel mm-hmm. ignorant. I feel stupid. Mm-hmm. sometimes because I'm just like I should I should know Spanish I live in San Antonio there's a lot of people who speak Spanish here but uh, uh, when I did try to take Spanish in high school it was very um, difficult for me it was it was they were teaching us the Spaniard Spanish like with vosotros and nosotros stuff and it was just like nobody speaks that way mm-hmm. so yeah. um it's very hard to connect to, and um, I just never picked it up, and um, so here we are now. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Um, for many years, I just longed to connect to these places, but now, you know, at the age of almost 32, I'll be 32 in June, uh, I finally realized that I can connect with myself. I still, like, want to make outer connections I still want to have like people who see me you know because that's important Mm -hmm. it's important to have people who see you for who you are and it's important to be able to talk about things that you know people from your culture will understand because you know I could talk to you about it and you know maybe you'll be like oh that's cool but you won't have like that like nostalgia feeling or like you won't uh, exactly connect to it. Although there are some times where there's, you know, uh, similarities of different cultures and you're just like, oh, you do that too. You know, like, like totally. when, when they talk about um, 
Mexican moms using old uh, butter tubs as uh, what is it called? Um, Tupperware. There's oh, a lot yeah, of different cultures. Who do my mom did that for sure. <laughs> he still <Yeah>. does that. <laughs> I actually don't. I, I guess I'm I'm not a great environmentalist, but <laughs> but I try here and there. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah so do but, you um, i'm curious do you so it sounds like you kind of like had a felt affinity for these places or like had a longing for language does that feel like did you feel an affinity with the place and the culture without having been there or do you feel that way i'm curious um i think as a child i was just longing for some kind of place where I felt like I was accepted. Um, I didn't have very many, many friends growing up. I was always looked at as like the weird kid or the different kid. And I don't know if it was because I was like different. Like a lot of children at my school uh, were uh, not people of color. Um, and, you know, I would bring very different lunches to school <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And, like grape leaves or uh, I don't know if you guys have ever tried zatar it's mm, very interesting that? it's it's thyme so it's thyme mixed with um sesame seeds and a couple of other oh, spices oh yeah and you like yeah and, I have had that before that's delicious yeah. yeah and then you put it on bread with olive oil sometimes people make um something called fatire which is like where you make your own dough and you put the zatar on top of put in the oven or you can do it the lazy way and just get a piece of pita bread put some zatar mm -hmm. on it and then get some olive oil eat a sandwich mm, and okay. my parents used to give me zatar sandwiches as a kid for lunch and um i just had one kid one day and <laughs> would tell me you're eating caca <laughs> that's what <laughs> oh he told me God. and i was like i looked at it and i, I was i could i was like no i'm just not gonna eat this anymore Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so it's so wild how like one person's just small comment like something as small as like what you know a kid will say will completely shift like how we view the thing that we thought was so mm -hmm. normal forever yeah yeah mm -hmm. but but the thing was is that my parents still kept making them for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's not that I could even choose to not eat it I mean Sometimes I really didn't, but mm -hmm. the thing is, is that, um, so like every day I would open up my lunchbox and my parents would not roll the pita bread. They would just leave it like a circle. So it's just daughter with a circle of pita bread and with olive oil, right? So the table next over would be like, what does that girl have in her lunch? Yeah. <laughs> and they thought I was bringing entire pizzas. Oh, <laughs> I mean that makes sense. They're really jealous. They yeah. would cheer me on. <laughs> They'd be like, "Show us your pizza," and I would hold it up, but I wouldn't eat it. Uh -oh. <laughs> and I'd be like, "Here's my pizza." <laughs> and then they had things to say, I'm sure, about that, right? Like, yeah. they were like, That's "Wow, right. that girl." a whole pizza for lunch that's freaking cool yeah. <laughs> I mean, they didn't say freaking because they were in elementary school but mm -hmm. <laughs> but you, know, you guys get what I mean oh totally but, yeah so there was a lot of mixed feelings about you know food and language and where do I belong and and who am I and what am I and um you know it only got Versus, I got older, sadly, until I got to college. Um, but, you know, September 11th happened when I was 11, um, and it got pretty bad after that. Um, I endured a lot of uh, cruel comments from my peers at school. Mm -hmm. uh, I still remember one boy in particular telling me that my uncle was Saddam Hussein. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm laughing about that now. But it really hurt back then. Oh. I was like, number one, no. <laughs> number two, why? Uh -huh. Like, what did I do to you? And it was just like, just randomly, people were just completely mean to me out of nowhere. And I didn't understand why. I was like, well, why? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, and then I realized that was racist. 
racism. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And kids definitely. are cruel. Kids are, can be cruel about anything. And like to they can. And it, it took me a long time to get over that stuff. Um because even in high school, and I was not wearing hijab as a, as a kid in school. I would completely show all my hair. I didn't start wearing hijab until I was 18. Um, but, like, in high school, uh, kids knew about my ethnicity. And um, one time, about five boys at a table wrote a note to me. And then they passed it to me. And it said, were you involved in the September 11th attacks? Mm-hmm. And that one... I was just, I started crying. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. And I was just sitting there in class and I was just like completely humiliated. And the teacher is like giving us some kind of group project to do. And um, I had some friends and I, I, they noticed that I was very uncomfortable. And they basically cut those boys out <laughs> because I did approach the teacher and the teacher was like, my problem (laughs) Mm. you just like completely like and uh, back then I felt so helpless and Mm. it's not the same way that it is right now you know if something like that was to happen right now you know the teacher would definitely have to do something Mm -hmm. and even back then they probably should have done something but um I don't know I guess he just didn't see an issue Mm -hmm. and and I guess I was kind of lucky to have friends to uh, at least stand up a little bit mm-hmm. for me yeah. <laughs> since I was unable to do so for myself. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, you know, when you're in a situation like that, um, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If I stood up for myself, they'd say, you know, well, see, you are a terrorist, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and um, because of those kinds of experiences, um, I kind of turned to apologetics for a while and I was just like just one of these people that was just like always trying to explain myself and always kind of like quiet and like just not looking out for any kind of trouble or Mm -hmm. speaking out against things just because I didn't want anyone else to treat me that way. Absolutely. And um yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was really difficult. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did um did you ever bring this up to your parents when you were growing up? And would they help or if you did, would they help in these like I can't imagine like I think I think back then I was scared to tell my dad. I don't remember if I ever told him about that. Mm-hmm. But I I think I remember being too scared. Um because I didn't, I was just afraid of anything. I was just like, I don't know what his reaction will be. I'm like, is he going to say something? Is he going to say nothing? Mm-hmm. I, is he going to get too worried about me? Because my parents were really, like, uh, where I worked. They were, like, very restrictive. And they wouldn't let me do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, maybe he's going to worry more. <laughs> maybe I should, like, you know, not say anything. Yeah. <laughs> And so I don't think I told him about this, but I don't know. I have a bad memory sometimes, so maybe I did, but I really don't remember telling him. Yeah, yeah. And that's hard. I mean, that would be really, really difficult to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when we're young, we carry pain and we, like, don't know how to communicate about our parents to that about that right like they were like kind of like almost subconsciously like protect them um yeah 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 I guess that's probably what it was too because like I remember that year of September 11th um we went to the masjid for Eid the masjid is a mosque um and there were police there and they were there to protect us it seemed and and I was really scared because I didn't know what was going on I was I I literally remember hiding in the car under the car window because I was scared and I was like I don't know what I was expecting I was I felt like if the police are here is someone gonna hurt us is there 
going to be guns here? Is someone going to shoot us? What's going to happen? This is a mosque. (laughs) Why are there police here? Yeah. And, And I was just, I had no idea how to think or feel about anything that was going on because I was just a kid you know and um shortly after September 11th you know you guys remember we we started the war in Iraq and that kind of uh you know escalated uh, more uh discrimination and um just a lot of fear Mm -hmm. there was so much fear in the climate and like seeing the way things are today it's Sometimes I wonder about it because I'm just like, it was so different. And and sometimes it makes me feel like validated and invalidated at the same time. Because I'm just like, why was it not like this when I was a kid? <laughs> why, why didn't I get any, like, any kind of, I don't know, support or just like, anything that made me feel like I could be safe and expressive of my faith and my culture um, and make me feel safe in my skin. Mm -hmm. What, what do you think is, has shifted now that you see that makes things safer? Well, I mean, I'm not going to say that we completely did a 180. I know we still have a lot of racism in the world. Yeah. But um, I just feel like it's completely different from back then because, um, you know, when I started wearing hijab, I was 18. That was like 2008. And even back in 2008, it was pretty hard. Um, There was just a lot of stares and comments and random people approaching me to evangelize me mm-hmm. in college. Yeah. And and these were like people that were way older than me. <laughs> and, and, I just, and I realized that if people were going to do all of this, that I had to learn everything about my faith mm-hmm. back and forth. And about Christianity (laughs) and and it was because of that like like I have my mom's Catholic as well and so like I already had connections to Catholicism and Christianity and um you know I I already appreciated it but you know learning more about it it was just like it was very grounding Mm -hmm. uh, later on and that was um that was when I started going to a different uh, college. I was at UIW, University of the Incarnate Word. It was a, it was a Catholic uh, university. And um, I became involved in the interfaith student organization. Mm-hmm. I, d- I don't remember. I think I saw a flyer for it one day or something like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, I think I want to go to one of these meetings. <laughs> and I went there. And then I started bringing my friends. And then I brought more friends. Mm-hmm. And then they and then they were like, We want you to be the president. Mm-hmm. And I was like, What? <laughs> Me? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Me? <laughs> and uh they were like, Yeah, it's you or nobody. <laughs> <laughs> You've been chosen. <laughs> and I was like, uh I'm not good at leading. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know me? Like, I'm like, but uh, those people that like, you know, just says yes to everything. <laughs> That's not really like what a leader does. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we think that you'd be a great leader. And um, so I just, I learned so much in those uh, years. And I became the president in like my last two years. So it was, it was about two and a half years when I served as the president. And not only did I serve as a president, but I was working in campus ministry at, at the university. So I was there sitting in the reverend's office and it was it was really fun. We were honestly like family. Um, I would call him my uncle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and then we had, uh, you know, the sister and in, in the other uh, side of the hallway and 
she was um, the president, I think. No, I think she's the vice president of campus ministry. And then we had uh, Father Tom, and he was there. And it was just like everybody was like all in one hallway, and it was like a little family. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was super cozy, and I felt welcomed mm-hmm. for the first time in my life. And it was very refreshing. I I really, really liked it because, um, you know, for so many years, I was just like, when do I get to feel like I have like, like a, like a different kind of family? You know what I mean? I don't know. Community. <laughs> just like a community. Yeah. A community. A community. Yeah. Yeah. And I finally felt like I had one. Yeah. And um, were you even like aware, like when you were like, sometimes I feel like we miss that chance to even see that we're a part of a community now that, but from before when maybe you didn't feel like you had a place to truly be yourself, like what did that feel like? And did you realize it was happening? So, so what was the question? Can you say that? Yeah, like, what did it feel like find, finally kind of finding a place where you had a place where you belonged? Um, and then did you realize you were there, like, that you had that community when you were in it? I definitely felt that way. I, I felt, you know, I felt like I had, like, there's, like, a mom and a dad, and, like, it's, like, everybody's there, and... It was really funny because I would be fasting in Ramadan and they would always have a lot of free food. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the free food would always increase during Ramadan. And I was just like, Inevitably. are y'all just pushing me? <laughs> just an extra <expert laughs> test. Is this, is this some temptation that y'all are trying to destroy? Right. <laughs> but, you know, we're always like just joking around like that with each other. And it was just very open and I think um, the only thing the only lesson that I I can take that was like um, like a negative kind of lesson is that I was doing too much mm-hmm. um, so I was you know I was going to school mm-hmm. but I was also involved in you know all of this and I was staying there longer than I was supposed to you know, they were giving me a stipend, mm-hmm. but um, I was staying way too many hours, and I was saying yes to too many things, mm-hmm. and I was realizing that I was putting so many things on myself. Um, I was doing a lot of, uh, what is it called, conferences, or not conferences, but like just uh, presentations. Mm-hmm. I would get invited by several different teachers. They would basically say, you know, um, we want you to talk to our class about Islam. Uh, we want them to uh, hear it from Muslim themselves, which which I really appreciated, you know. Um, but I was kind of spreading myself thin, and um, I was slowly realizing it as I was getting closer to graduation, and I started to feel the pressure, mm-hmm. and and I was like, what am I doing to myself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't until I graduated that I realized I was like, okay, I need to learn how to say no to people. Yeah, I'm so I'm I'm really because I I started reflecting. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually I'm really oh, curious ahead. about that, like because I think sure. like because you know biracial and multiracial identities are so unique, and your your identity specifically is so unique that there's like this kind of. Oh, like, please come and share with us because you have this like unique perspective and it feels like an accolade and it feels really good too, because it's like, of course, we want to help people have a different experience than we did, like a more caring, loving experience than we did. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really curious from your perspective, like what supports you feel like you wish you would have had during that time um, that wouldn't have made you feel so stretch then or like you had to really like dig deep to like say no to things like what would have supported you with boundaries around that time um I think knowing about boundaries in general (laughs) I didn't know what boundaries were I seriously didn't my I didn't learn about boundaries until I think like maybe three years later after I graduated and my 
my best friend was the one who taught me about Crabtree. Because <laughs> uh, I think I was venting too much. And we're both really sensitive people. And I know that I can't handle it when people vent too much to me. And she told me that. And I was like, oh. <laughs> it was kind of like an aha moment. Uh-huh. And I, I, I didn't realize it yet. Because I, I was actually really, like, in pain. <laughs> because I was going through a lot at that time. And I was like, oh, no, I don't have anybody to talk to. What do I do? And then, and then I started going to therapy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really helped a lot. Um, but learning about boundaries, I think, is something that everybody should do. Yeah. <laughs> that is really, really important. Um, and uh, especially, like, you know, boundaries with yourself, boundaries with other people. Um just increases your self-worth a lot um you know if you don't have uh, self-worth then you're not gonna be able to assert yourself you're not gonna be able to even just like feel that you are appreciated you know even if you are appreciated you're still gonna feel that you're not good enough and you're going to keep trying to prove yourself. And that's kind of what I was doing. Do do you think like that moment specifically kind of helped to jumpstart your like self love, self reflection? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Cause after that, I just, I started, uh, you know, reading about boundaries and, um, just reading about everything in general, I started reading about being a highly sensitive person because that's what I am. It's just uh, people that we take everything in at level 1000. Yeah. <laughs> if it's really cold outside, we feel colder. If I drink coffee, yeah, I really can't drink. Mm-hmm. I just get like super, super anxious. Um, if I'm listening to something sad, it can really, really affect me, especially if it's like a certain subject. Um, Just so many different levels that I didn't know about before. And then I I also took a personality test, the Myers-Briggs test, and I found out that I was INFJ, and I was like, everything makes Mm -hmm. sense. (laughs) Why did I not know about this? Girl, I'm an INFP, I get get you. I'm like you're like literally reading my diary right now. Like I'm so I'm so porous and so sensitive. Like I and um yeah, it's like it's I want to reflect back to you the importance of like of that piece of realizing that like oh, there's like space there's like something that like needs to be put up between me and the rest of the world so that I can like function and be happy and healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Um not in a way to like people out but just in a way to like be okay maybe a little little. yeah yeah um can you say more about like uh the role of like like boundaries and and self-love and self-worth and how that has i don't know kind of shaped who you are now Yes. Yes. I want to talk about, so like after, after that whole conversation with my best friend, um, I think soon after I went to Lebanon for the first time, and this is after the Syrian war. So my family moved to Lebanon and um, my family a long time ago, I don't know how many years ago, was originally from Lebanon and then they moved to Syria. So my last name is Al Serini, and there is actually a city called Sarain, mm. and that's where my family is wow. from, and that's where they were living. And so I got to go to the place of the name of my family, wow. and it was like boom, it was like boom. I was like, this is weird, because I remember my dad telling me about it when I was a kid, and he was like, "There's a city in Lebanon." We're named after that city, and that's where we wow. come from. And I was like, hmm, you're making stuff up, Dad. Come on. What are you talking yeah. about? A city named after us? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, 
But I found out that we were named after the city, or like we kind of like t- took the name. It's like sometimes when people are traveling or uh, when they're from somewhere, they just like, you know, they're saying that that's their new name or like, I don't know how to explain it, but mm-hmm. it's like, it's an Arab thing. It's like, you know, they're from there. So that's what they are yeah. now. And so I think that's how we got our mm-hmm. name. <laughs> and um, it was just very, very interesting to see how different everything was again, because I, this time I was older, you know, mm-hmm. was not as young. And um, I just got to like witness, um, you know, my family, I got to witness the differences of the food and the culture and the bickering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and judgmental yeah. ideals and, oh my goodness. Okay, it's like, Lebanon is like um, keeping up with the Joneses mm. style plus Kardashians okay. put together. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Everybody has Botox. Everybody is getting lap band surgery. Wow. And this, I'm talking about a very, very tiny mm-hmm. town. Okay. When you think of very, very tiny towns, you think of, you know, farming, you think of, rural. you know, yeah. rural. Mm-hmm. No, no. <laughs> Everybody is trying to show off their most glamorous life to each other. And that's how they wear fake brands, whatever they can do, whatever they can do to advance their anything Mm -hmm. status, they will do it. And um, I never experienced that to that level. Like, I felt like... Like, I know, you know, here in America, there's a lot of pressure to be beautiful and stuff like that, but I never felt it to that level uh-huh. where it was like, uh, I had people telling me that I needed to go put makeup on right away because there were certain people coming. And if I didn't put makeup on, I was not going to be pretty enough. Wow. <laughs> if I didn't wear certain clothes, I wasn't going to look good enough. And it really yeah, got to me. How old were you? How and... old were you when you were there? experiencing that uh this was how old was Mm. i (laughs) this was a couple of years ago i think i think i was already 30 Mm -hmm. yeah i think i was already at least 30 by then no wait how old am i (laughs) (laughs) i'm 32 now let's see but you weren't i don't know 29 you weren't like in your you weren't like in your teens or your early 20s you were yeah yeah. No, 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 no. So I was like fully grown, fully experiencing this, but still like because there's so many people and they're all doing the same thing and I was staying there for quite a while. I was it was really getting to me and I was like this is this is not mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> did, did you feel like further away from your culture? I feel like if I was in a place that like I just couldn't even though I'm supposed to feel like some sort of like belonging in a place where my family is named after and if you're like faced with things that are like so foreign and like this is not what I feel like I should you know what did that feel like because I was taught for so many years that my culture doesn't do things like this and I was super super confused Mm. like Sometimes they would tell me that I need to wear tighter pants, or they would tell me that my hijab style is three years old. Why do you still rap like that? And I was like, nobody ever told me there was different styles. (laughs) I thought a hijab was just a hijab. I'm just like, I don't know. I'm from Texas, okay? There's no Muslims there. I mean, there there are, but like, I don't hang out with them. Sorry. So, so like when you, so when you think about like your self-worth in relationship to that, was that like a, was that a pretty big struggle coming back from that? Like how did that? It was, it was, I came back and I was putting a lot of pressure on myself and I was like trying to diet and trying to make my house perfect. And I was trying to make my house have the best furniture and whatever. And I was just like, why? why am i doing this (laughs) um, did you find the answer no (laughs) i think i did i think i found out i found out that i was just like uh 
so that I remember learning about it when I was in interfaith and um, is called culture shock and opposite culture shock. And um, this was actually a presentation done to the international students. And I think I was there just to be like the interfaith representative. And um, I remember listening to that lecture and I was like, this is so interesting. I didn't know there could be a such thing as opposite culture mm -hmm. shock. And then I remembered that and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so it's like when you come back to your own country, then it's uh, you have all of these new and old ideals and you're trying to reconcile everything together and you're just trying to put all the pieces together. Um, driving in Lebanon is crazy. So when I got back to America, <laughs> I, I, I did some crazy things on the road because I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm not in love with Andrew. Yeah. Because over there, if you sit and wait and use your blinker, you'll get 10 cars mm -hmm. honking at yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Just turn. Mm -hmm. Just turn. Mm -hmm. Don't wait. Yeah. I, you know, that's so interesting, that idea, because like I, so I lived in Spain um, for a year. And when I came back, I definitely experienced reverse culture shock. But I, what you're, what you're, talking about so interesting because now I actually know I do have roots there but I didn't know that at the time and I and I um and wow. I that's a long story related to like my dad's adoption history and DNA <laughs> but like I it makes me curious Ooh, like about if I had known that if I had, would have felt like a deep a need to like kind of more deeply invest or like um, integrate culture into into who my identity and then how much more difficult that would have been like do you feel like that is true for you that there was like because you were visiting your you know homeland a homeland so can you repeat just that question one yeah more time? like do you do you think that because you knew you're in a place where your family was from that the culture shock was like even more intense than if it was a place that you were visiting that you didn't have roots in. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, um, because when you go somewhere and you know that your family's from there, it's supposed to feel comforting. And you know, many times it did, but um, seeing how different the ideals were in relation to what I believed I think that it kind of like really altered my perspective and it, it made me understand things in a different way and it made me understand this saying that my dad would always say and uh, <laughs> it was uh, I don't know if you guys ever watch Hassan Minaj, mm -hmm. but um, he did a special and he was talking. Oh, a comedian? Also in Indian culture. Yeah, yes, Hassan he's, Minaj, he's, he's really funny. It's also in, <laughs> so it's also in Indian culture. It's this um, saying. So in, in Indian culture, he, he was saying it's, uh, never mind, I'm not going to try to say that. <laughs> I don't speak, <laughs> I don't speak Hindi, so I'm going to not know. But anyways, it's what will the people think? And I finally realized what people my dad was talking about. Because I remember I would just be, you know, doing things that normal people do here in America. Like, I don't know, try to hang out with my friends sometimes or something, something like that. And, you know, my dad was very, very strong on the old ways of Syria. And, you know, certain types of behaviors that uh girls should have mm -hmm. <laughs> they those there. like gender yeah. expectations and um gender yeah. expectations <laughs> and um he was always saying what will the people think what will the people think if you don't know how to iron a shirt a proper way or do this or do something right and i was like what people thought <laughs> I don't see any people either. And I finally went to Lebanon and I was like, these are the people. Yeah. Everywhere, all the time, in your face, judging you for every single thing. And I was like, oh my God. And and that's where healing came in. Because there was like so many years of uh, like, he was 
pushing me. He was doing dad push, you know, that Syrian dad push where he's just trying really hard to make a perfect daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Every single way. And sorry, I'm uh-huh. so burned. <laughs> so it's how, so how like, oh, oh, go ahead, Kayla. Yeah. I just think it's so interesting because like you grew up in like an environment where people were also, you were also thinking the same thing. Like what, what do these people think these, like my classmates who are like making fun of like the way that I eat and the way that I dress. It's like, and then as like an adult, you're doing it, but it's with your own (laughs) culture. And you're like, what is going on? You know? (laughs) Completely weird, right? What what about what I think? Like, what do I think about who I am and what I mean to myself? And yeah, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so interesting. Exactly. Exactly. And then, like, you know, seeing all of this, you know, I was in so many different pieces here and there and trying to put myself together for whoever the audience is. And I realized, you know, it doesn't matter where I am. Nobody is going to accept me for who I am unless I accept me for who I am. And if they don't accept me for who I am, I don't care because it's not it's yeah. not my problem yeah. anymore. Cheers. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually really curious about how you got there. Cause that, that's really like this place of internal belonging, right? We talk about belonging and like, we think about that as like external yeah. belonging to like groups or communities or family or friends, whatever. But I think what you're talking about is really about an internal understanding of belonging, like an internal feeling of belonging to yourself. And I have kind of like a two-part question because it sounds like your trip to Lebanon happened like right before COVID. And I'm curious, like over the last, yeah, yeah, I'm curious how like quarantine and all of that really um, has led (laughs) to this place of a deeper sense of belonging to yourself. Well, it was really funny because I was like, okay, it's going to be 2020. This is going to be my year. I am going <laughs> to be different. I am going to, um, I'm going to do a lot of art. Uh, and I, I, I bought a planner and I said, I am going to uh, participate in galleries. I'm going to apply as much as I can. And, and then it happened. <laughs> yeah. It happened. But I was already starting. I was already starting and and I said, I'm gonna paint. I don't care what's going on. This is my window. The canvas was my window to the outside because I couldn't go outside. And um, I don't know what it was, but I don't know if it was the stress or if I was on the internet too much, <laughs> but I would have these dreams and they would be, flowers everywhere flowers flowers so many thousands of flowers and I was just it was every single night and this was the very beginning of COVID and I was like oh my god like this is so beautiful and they were like very lucid dreams and I was like amazed by them and I said okay I have to paint that I have to just like put all these flowers in my art and I started to do that and just felt so freeing and it felt like I was finally connecting to myself um and then I had to leave my house um I'm not gonna talk about why it's kind of private but I recently divorced and um I moved back to San Antonio I was in Dallas at this time and I moved back to my hometown um it was a lot of pieces putting together pieces and i had to rebuild myself from the ground up um and it was difficult but i got there um i kind of had to fake it till i make it a little bit (laughs) um especially with three kids but um with the grace of god and really really good patience (laughs) i um I found a job. I started really living adult life. I am adulting now. (laughs) 
Um, and that's really when I start to see the full big picture of this self-love mm-hmm. and accepting myself because all of the fake things, all the, I have to look good for these people. I have to be perfect. You can't be perfect. You're divorced now. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of those people that were trying to judge you, they're going to judge you anyways because you just got mm-hmm. divorced. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like like the lowest thing that you can do in their yeah. opinion. So why are you trying to impress yeah. them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't matter. None of it matters. It doesn't matter if you have a pretty house or pretty face or amazing clothes. You just have to do what's right for you at the right time you know and that's what I did I finally took initiative for myself and I just did what I needed Mm -hmm. to do and I took my space and and that's the most important move that I ever made was just being able to make like one of the clearest decisions ever and just be mm-hmm. who I am. And it's very freeing. Of course, it's a yeah. lot of work. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to lie. It is. It's a lot of work. Um, oh, that's so, you. That's so inspiring, Amira. It, it really is. I mean, oh, I'm man. just like in awe of this person sitting in front of me who has so much, like, that takes so much courage Aww. and like. Mm-hmm trust and faith and right i mean all of the things that we've been talking about it's really sounds like have really shaped you to be able to move through that and come out the other side it's so inspiring mm-hmm. yeah. it really is mm-hmm. that's really great <laughs> Yeah, Thank you guys. I'm, I'm sharing. Yeah, right yeah. I mean, you're sharing a really vulnerable thing. <laughs> it's a yeah, yeah, you're sharing a really vulnerable thing. So, like, our bodies like respond, right? Mm-hmm. So, we just thank our body for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I should be used to it by now, but I'm still like, oh, my yeah. God. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there it is again. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you about? Because um, you said you have kids. You have three kids. And sure, um, sure. I'm really curious about how your experience being biracial um, influences, like how you would talk to your kids about identity, or how you will talk to them about identity. It's it's really difficult because, you know, my dad was an immigrant coming from another country when I was a child. And so he had this pressure to really, really do the best he could to pass on every kind of information about his culture and his uh, religion to me, mm-hmm. you know? He would just try so, so, so hard. And it was kind of pushy at times, you know? I love my dad. I love you, Baba, if you're listening to this. <laughs> but. But it was, it was not easy as a child. And I'm trying really hard to do that gentle parenting. That is not easy yeah. at all, by the way. We're not parents, so we don't know what yeah. gentle... Well, I mean, I have two fur babies, but <laughs> I don't know what gentle parenting is. But gentle, gentle parenting <laughs> is just where you try to be a listener. Um, you try to see your child for who they are and try to come to them for where they are at their age and their, you know, capabilities and understandings. And, you know, when there's three kids screaming at you and one of them's like biting you and stuff, it's a little mm-hmm. bit hard. Like, take a deep breath. <laughs> and you're like trying to make dinner at the same time. <laughs> I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. Yeah. Like all six does is follow me around the house and I think that that's annoying so (laughs) and so I'm trying really hard and for many years I kind of did not want to even I don't want to say educate but like I didn't want to like 
steer my kids in any one direction. I wanted to listen and wait until they were ready to be able to tell them about certain things from religion and certain things about culture and certain things about everything, you know, racism, a lot of everything. Because I just, I try really hard not to scar my kids. <laughs> but then I'm going through another journey right now where um, I'm learning that I am not perfect either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I am not going to be a perfect mom. And I need to teach my kids that I'm not going to be a perfect mom because I don't want them to grow up feeling resentful. I mean, they probably will resent me. That's okay if they resent me. That's what I'm trying to mm-hmm. understand myself is that if I make a mistake somewhere and they get mad at me, mm-hmm. it's okay because I'm human and they're human and they have rights to their opinions and emotions. And so do I. And that's the journey that I'm yeah. going through right now. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> totally. And so um, I'm just slowly introducing the ideas of you know, my faith and culture. And, you know, sometimes I do it through music or storybooks, um, just, just to incorporate it in like a gentle way, mm-hmm. you know, and um, uh, recently their dad taught them how to recite uh, Quran. And I, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I didn't teach them that yet. I didn't know if they were ready for that, but they already started doing it. And so I was like, well, I mean, if they already started, I guess I have to explain to them what they're yeah. saying because uh-huh. they had no idea. They were just repeating words, and and um, I translated it. It was the Fatiha. That's the first uh, uh, mm-hmm. chapter in the Quran. And when I translated it to them, I translated it to them in words that they would understand. Um, there's uh, one verse in the Quran where it says, "Guide me to the straight." path so i said guide me to the straight road because my kids really yeah. love cars, uh-huh. <laughs> really love cars. <laughs> and then it says not the road of those who are you know people that aren't always listening or aren't always um paying attention so i said not the road that's really really bumpy. <laughs> yeah uh-huh. <laughs> i love that and when I told them that, they were like, wow, that's what that means? You know, that my son's yeah. sick. No, I mean, that's <laughs> developmentally appropriate translation. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they, they really started to have, like, an appreciation for this. It's called the mm-hmm. opening. And um, being able to come to them like that, it... I really felt something and I'm feeling all kinds of healing from it everywhere right now. It's just like I've returned to my, the city that I was born in. And uh, when I first got here, I started substitute teaching and I substitute, I was teaching at the school that I went to when I was a kid (laughs) and it changed. There is dual language classes. There are classes completely in Spanish. I had to substitute for a class that was completely in Spanish because they really needed a sub on that day. And I told them, I said, you know, I don't speak Spanish. And they said, that's okay. We really need a sub. And I had to read a lesson to them in Spanish. And it was, it was like my two worlds had come together and I was, I said, I am healed because I, felt so much discrimination when I was a child. And I said, look how different Mm -hmm. it is now. Look what they're doing now. And I went to my old high school and I substituted there. And it was Ramadan Mm -hmm. when I was substituting. And I had free donuts because it was substitute teacher appreciation. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And free sandwiches. (laughs) I don't know why this always happens. (laughs) I love hearing that story so much because it's like, I think sometimes we forget that, like, we do have so far to go, 
right? Mm-hmm. As a society, but we also have come a distance. Um, and so I love yeah. hearing you share that. Yeah. So I think uh, we kind of wanted to end it end the conversation talking a little bit more on your art. It, it feels like it kind of sure. like helped you through a really difficult time and um, oh, yeah. we kind of want to yeah. see where that journey is going to right now and what does it look like and how has it helped you and all of that. Sorry. Yes. Well, I recently, oh, I recently wrote a new artist statement and I was wondering if I could read a little bit uh, for of you. Of course. Now? Is that okay? And because uh, for such a long time, I was wondering how I can put everything together. Because I, I had a different artist statement before, and it was like focusing only on the art and not on like who I am. And I, I didn't know how to word it. And I was just like, how do I put this together? And I finally found a way to yeah. describe it. And... Um, if it's too long, you can cut me off. <laughs> but um, it shouldn't be that long. Uh, I'll, I'll try to not read it word for word. Um, maybe I'll try to summarize it. But basically, it's kind of a summary of everything that we've talked about so far. It's just, you know, growing up in, um, uh, growing up with a culturally mixed identity in America can be uh, both confusing, claustrophobic, and mind-blowing. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, I have parents from two different countries, Syria and Mexico, born and raised in Texas. Um, And as a practicing Muslim woman, I decided to seek liberation from traditional constructs placed on people like me. You know, I'm brown Muslim woman in America. There's a lot of different kind of social Mm -hmm. constructs placed on me. So I decided to do this by um, expressing my unique narrative through creating um, and so like the main focus of my art is I'm just trying to put all of these different things together and show it to the world pretty much I just I want to tell my story and I do this by us- utilizing uh, surrealist principles um, like I told you uh, a lot of surrealism comes from dreams and I um, I was seeing it flowers in my dreams and I really wanted to paint them and um, so uh, uh, a lot of surrealist uh, principles come from something called psychic automatism which is just using random things that come from your brain pretty much (laughs) (laughs) completely random and I experience um, this thing it's called uh, involuntary semantic memories and it's basically where you might um get any kind of uh word or image or piece of knowledge randomly just in your brain out of nowhere out of completely nowhere um one day i was driving and it happened (laughs) and i saw I, ha- I have something else called hyperphantasia, which is where my imagination is hyper vivid. So I can see like photographic images in my imagination. So here I was driving and <laughs> all of a sudden I see, I can see the back of my neck in my, so I'm not hallucinating. I'm seeing all of this in my mm-hmm. mind while I'm driving. <laughs> I, I can see the bones of my neck and I see flowers wow. sprouting out of that in my mind. And I was like, I have to paint that. I have to paint that. And sometimes, sometimes it's really hard because the things that you see are not mm-hmm. the things that you paint because there's so many different things to take into account. Um, like uh, dimension, sometimes I see in 3D, I'm painting on a 2D you know, canvas um, and there's, uh, lots of things to account for skill, uh, materials, mm-hmm. what am I working with? And um, so it's just uh, accounting for all these things put together, plus my culture, plus my faith. And so I just wanted to uh, bring everything together at once mm-hmm. and just show people my story and just feel seen and heard. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and if possible, uh, I would like to end uh, with a poem. Yes, please. Yeah. No, please. It's a really short poem. <laughs> okay. So this one is called Mixed. <clears throat> it is said that we were created from dust. Some say that it, that it is the dust of the earth. Others say that it is the dust of the stars. And for some of us, it was a mix of both. And we become stuck in the atmosphere, burning for a place to call home. And so there, you know, I take all the different elements mm -hmm. of <laughs> you know, the biblical elements of how we were created from dust and, you know, the scientific elements and how they say that, you know, maybe we were uh, somehow made from stardust. And um, I put it together and I talk about, you know, if, if you're ever in between this level, you're going to be burning mm -hmm. in the atmosphere. <laughs> and that's how it feels sometimes because you can't go over here and you can't go over there and so you're just like just here but you're alive and you are existing yeah. and you're burning and you're gonna glow if you all could see me right now you would see like snot <laughs> <laughs> i'm like that was beautiful i was Thank i'm just you. so moved by that like um that like oh i think that that blending of science and faith um is so such a powerful way of thinking about where we are collectively um but also just like as somebody who lives in the in-between that the place that feels like it's maybe caught in the middle is actually the place where like the burning and the shine comes from and that like we just need so much light in the world right now so I like love that poem so much. It's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Aww. I wrote a manuscript <laughs> if you want it. <laughs> it was not it was not accepted by the button mm. poetry whatever that I submitted. Place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I I submitted to another place too. But, yeah. <laughs> but I'll oh, keep yeah. trying. Oh. Amira, thank you so much for sharing your story with us tonight oh um, thank you yeah i've actually felt like seen and witnessed just from listening to you share your story yeah. oh thank you so much that is awesome that's exactly what i want i i want people to feel seen i want them to also share in return because the more we share with each other the more we're gonna see each other and we're gonna be able to be there mm -hmm. and support each other. And that's that's what we need if we want a real mm -hmm. community. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Living Two or More. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Living Two or More. If you have any comments or questions, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at Living Two or More Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks. <laughs>